trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I don't know if you're just freedom curious or if you are a die-hard, committed wrong thinker, and you are ready to stand up and be counted. But uh, if you're anywhere on that spectrum, leaning towards freedom or fully engaged in the cause of freedom, I appreciate you uh, tuning in the program. And uh, I've got some fun stuff to share with you today. I'm going to start, though, with something that is not as fun. I want to do this just because I want to get this off my chest right up front. My heart has been heavy since uh, I read a letter yesterday penned by Ammon Bundy to a number of Idaho officials who are systematically working to destroy him and his family. Now, look, I understand Ammon is a controversial figure to many people. Some of the things that uh, that his name is associated with, Bundy Ranch, the Malheur Wildlife Refuge, and, and since, uh, since, by the way, he was uh, acquitted in the Malheur case, and uh, the other case was dismissed because the government clearly was shown to have egg on its face and have withheld exculpatory evidence. In other words, he was never the instigator of the wrongdoing. The wrongdoing started with someone in authority overstepping their bounds, tyrannizing people, Ammon, However you want to put it, was brave enough or, in some people's minds, dumb enough to stand up and say this is wrong and make a hard stand to that effect. Well, for the last three years in the state of Idaho, there has been uh, there's been a real effort on the part of people in authority. And we're talking the governor, we're talking the speaker of the house, we're talking law enforcement officials, judges, and now uh, St. Luke's hospital administrators who have been on the wrong side of the equation of, uh, of right and wrong. And Ammon has stood up to them and has called them out. And I'm just going to walk you through this letter that he wrote. Um, I knew that he was having some, I, I knew he had some legal challenges and that uh, they, were, they were coming after him. St. Luke's and their team of lawyers, and I think it's the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, coming after him over an issue in which uh, police were, were told to seize a baby that they said that uh, someone had said was in distress. I think it was the doctor. This, you know, there's so many levels of tyranny here. There's medical tyranny. There's the police, you know, acting under the uh, impression, well, we've got to take this baby from his mother. We've got to, you know, uh, give him to foster parents. Ammon stood up for the rights of people. And I should say peacefully stood up for the rights of people. And uh, has been systematically just blasted with legal consequences. A judge found him in contempt of not fulfilling his community service hours. He, he asked her to count the time he was on the campaign trail, teaching civics and teaching the, the principles of self-governance to the people in the various communities he visited as, as community service. She wouldn't do it. Threw him in jail for 10 days. Fined him 3000 bucks. So I want to walk you through a letter which Ammon has written to uh, Blake Higley, Scott Bedke, Whitney Welsh, Chris Roth, Ann McDevitt, Eric Stidham, Brad Little, who's the, the governor of Idaho, and Keith Reynolds. Now, these are various officials in various positions, some of them corporate, most of them political. But it's, it's a warning, and it's also a plea for redress. And Ammon is coming to them seeking relief that he and his family can live in peace and not be harassed at their hands anymore. 
And he says, as much as it pains me to do so, it's my duty to plead my case to you in why I have acted the way I have over the past few years. And he says, I pray that you'll understand my intentions and see how my actions have been based in love for God and my fellow man, including yourself. I'm going to walk you through just a few of the things. I won't read the letter in its entirety. It's pretty lengthy, but I'm linking to it in the show notes, and I'm going to ask you, regardless of what your opinion is of Ammon Bundy, at least do yourself the, uh, the intellectual favor of reading what he has to say and considering that, uh, that he does have a side in this, there, there's so much. The mainstream press, of course, is, is, well, he's an insurrectionist. He's a professional insurrectionist. He's a favorite pinata for them. And why not? You know, he's, he's an easy target for them. But I'm just going to put my cards on the table right up front here. I have known him for some time. I have worked with Ammon, helped produce his his podcast. And this is a good man. This is a sincere man. However you may feel about, well, he's sincerely misguided, that's fine. But I believe he is above reproach in terms of he has never harmed another person or engaged in violence, nor has he urged aggressive violence against anybody either. Now, he points out, he says, in February of 2020, I made a vow that I would not live or allow my family and friends to be compelled to live under the delusional control of tyrants pushing lockdown mandates using health orders as the the excuse. Now, at the time he made that vow, it was when he became aware of what officials in the state of California were doing to people in that area. And Ammon says, I had hoped that the same type of action would not come to Idaho, but my hopes were in vain. As in March, mid-March of 2020, Brad Little, governor of Idaho, issued a statewide stay-at-home order, much like California's Governor Gavin Newsom did earlier that month. Now, knowing very well that no state or other official has been granted the authority to order my friends, family, or I to remain in our homes until we have their permission to leave, knowing that no man or group of people have the right to order other men or women to stop trading with each other in an effort to provide for their families, Knowing that no man or group of people have the right to order other men or women not to visit and care for each other. Knowing that state officials have only been granted authority enumerated in the state and United States constitutions. Knowing above all things that the right to travel, the right to visit with and care for each other, the right to leave our homes at will, the right to trade and provide for our families are endowed by God, the almighty creator to each of his children residing upon this earth and that no government official has the authority to alienate these rights from his children unless in defense of their own rights. He says, knowing these things, I begin to act openly in peaceful defiance of the immoral and unconstitutional usurpations coming from government officials within the state of Idaho, holding regular public meetings and Easter service, peacefully protesting at a Meridian officer, police officer's home for arresting a mother who took her children to the park and organizing people to peacefully stand for the rights that God had given them. Never once did I damage any property, commit any violence, or harm any person. And he just says, it's not in my nature to do so. However, Ammon says these simple, peaceful acts of noncompliance caused the heads of several government agencies to communicate with each other about what should be done with Ammon Bundy. Now, this is chilling what he reveals here next, but he has the links to, to, to back this up. In one email chain between the head of the Idaho State Police, Colonel Kendrick Wills, Meridian Police Chief, uh, Meridian Mayor Robert Simison, the FBI 
uh, Joint Terrorist Task Force. Ada County Sheriff Steve Bartlett and several other heads of government agencies and offices in Idaho, all of these folks discussed the desire to potentially raid the Easter service he had planned and mass arrest those attending. See, this has slipped a lot of people's memories, but uh, he's right. State police, FBI, local police, the sheriff, all discussing the desire to arrest people for attending a worship service on Easter. Can you imagine that happening in the United States of America? And doing so because those assembling to worship God did not have permission from government officials to do so. Ultimately, these officials decided not to move forward with the raid and mass arrest because the Easter service was held in Gem County on private property. Now, he says, it's my belief that the Gem County Sheriff and Emmett Mayer did not support the action, so they didn't move forward with the raid. And then, in August of 2020, Governor Little called for a special legislative session to gain legal immunity for the action of state officials during the lockdown orders. When that session began, hundreds of people came to the Idaho Capitol building to attend. Scott Bedke, Speaker of the House, ordered the House gallery doors to be locked, guarded by Idaho State Police troopers, stopping hundreds of people from legally attending the session. Now, that caused a lot of people to become upset, and eventually they pushed their way through the locked doors. Now, he says, I have to mention, Idaho state law prohibits the doors to the House or Senate galleries from being locked at any time during a regular or special session. Right? Who are, who are these people representing? They're representing the people, and this is the people's house. Regardless, though, that law didn't seem to matter to Speaker Scott Bedke or to the Idaho State Troopers. In fact, instead of apologizing to the people for illegally blocking the doors the next day, nearly half of all the ISP troopers in Idaho were ordered to report for duty at the Capitol building. And that afternoon, an incident with the independent media was fabricated and Ammon was arrested. This is when he was, you know, wheeled out in, in the chair. He says, my crime was sitting quietly and non-disruptive in a public room in the Idaho Capitol building, the Lincoln Auditorium, during open hours where no proceedings were taking place. The Lincoln Auditorium doors were always open to the public till 7 p.m. each day. However, at 5 p.m. that day, over 60 police officers came into the room and ordered him to leave. And when he did not leave immediately, he was arrested and trespassed from the Capitol building for a year. Now, during his trial over a year later, multiple police officers testified he was not being disruptive and had broken no rules. I'm going to come back to this in a few moments. I've got a few more things to share. And, I'm, you know, maybe you don't want to hear it. Maybe you do. My point is a good man is under attack and you need to know why. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com, monticellocollege.org, and also borelli.com. You'll find links in on my uh, website, The Brian Hyde Show, that'll take you to those sponsors where you can find out more about them. I'm sharing a letter that uh, Ammon Bundy has penned to various public officials in Idaho who are doing their best to uh, to punish him through the legal process of lawfare. It doesn't require a conviction. It doesn't require proving he's a criminal. It's uh, it's just a matter of we got to wear this guy down, and they are burying him in uh, legal paperwork and claims and and putting liens against his home and so forth. They they are really working to destroy this man. 
And some people feel like, well, it's justified. He's a troublemaker. But I want you to hear what Ammon is saying as far as where he is coming from. And, and, and above all, the thing that people need to take away from this is whatever you may think of him, he's right when he says he has never harmed a person. He has never damaged someone's property. No one has been victimized by him. He's never engaged in aggressive violence. Never. So why are they so intent on taking this guy down? I think it's because they, he, he has shamed them. He has called them out. His principles show them to be the petty tyrants that they are. And it's intolerable. They can't handle it. By contrast, they look like a bunch of oafs. So we've got to do something. And of course, mainstream media is more than happy to pile on, poison the public mind. Oh, this him and this professional insurrectionist, blah, blah, blah. This is, this is some of the darkest aspects of humanity that I have ever seen in my life. And what troubles me the most is it's right here at the state level. And these are people who pretend, well, I'm a good Republican. I'm a small government conservative. They talk the talk, but they goose step the goose step of tyranny. Ugly, ugly people by their actions. Now, Ammon talks about how, again, the people were shut out. The people, we the people, were shut out from this special session where uh, the governor and legislators were trying to give themselves uh, legal immunity from some of the harm that they had done through their lockdown policies, which were egregious. By the way, the governor has gaslighted. Oh, I never called for lockdowns. Why? That was all purely voluntary. This is typical. When someone is called on on their their misdoings, you know, or their, their misdeeds, they, they will pretend, well, you know, that wasn't me. You're just imagining things. You're crazy. But when they locked the doors to the Capitol building, you couldn't even go into the gallery of the Senate or the House to see what was going on. Ammon says, I do admit at this point I became somewhat irrational. I believed I had a right to go to the Idaho Capitol building and participate in the legislative process. I believed the Capitol building belonged to the people, not the government. I believed that somehow the people were going to make a difference in the Capitol building and that I was going to help motivate and unite them. And he says, I believe that I was targeted and falsely arrested so that I could not influence the legislators or the people during that and the following sessions. And from here, ultimately, he was arrested three more times for going back to the Capitol building to attend legislative proceedings, each time thrown in jail and sorely abused under the hand of the Ada County jailers. And to make matters worse... When he showed up to his first trespass trial, they would not allow him in the Ada County Courthouse because he would not wear a mask. After many attempts to get permission to go into the courthouse to attend his own trial, a dozen Ada County Sheriff's deputies exited the courthouse and arrested him for failure to appear to his trial. You can't make this stuff up, folks. That is tyranny. It's acting under the color of law. Oh, we have to do this. He's not not doing what we tell him to do. But at least at this point, we understand masks don't do crap. And the demand, well, you must wear one. At least now it's being shown as you know, unmasked, if you will, as it's a it's a just it's an emblem of my submission and my obedience. He was well within his right to say, no, I'm not going to put that thing on my face. So on that occasion, when they arrested him for failure to appear to his trial, as they held him outside for for not to bending the knee to the the powers that be, he spent 32 hours in an extremely cold holding cell that they refer to as the cold box. 
It's meant to be miserable. It's meant to be cruel. And then for the next year and a half, he spent much of his life litigating those cases. He was also sentenced to 10 days in jail and fined $3,000, the maximum possible, for contempt of court. Judge Annie McDevitt disagreed with him using campaign service hours for community service time. So with no opportunity to redo the hours, with no jury involved, she threw the book at him, and he spent 10 more days in solitary confinement at the Ada County Jail. And he says, I'm sure to this day that judge believes that I deserve such a harsh punishment, but even my critics vocalized their surprise at her extreme and unusual sentence. Hell hath no fury like the ego of a judge who feels she's being disrespected. Now again, he spent his life for the, for the next year and a half litigating those cases, viciously prosecuted at the hands of a team of Ada County attorneys, never once having damaged any property, committed any violence, or harmed any person. And then came the case of baby Cyrus. In early March of 2022, he got a call from his friend's daughter, Marissa Anderson. She was surrounded by police officers threatening to take her baby away. Now, these are this family is good friends of his family. They've spent a lot of time together. They're one of the most loving, caring, and politically active people that he knows. And in fact, uh, the Marissa's father, Diego, became one of the public figures in Idaho speaking out against the governor's lockdown orders. I think it was Diego who organized the worship service on Easter Sunday in 2020 with Ammon, in defiance of those state authorities who were plotting to go in and make a mass arrest because people were meeting to worship God without their permission. Now, he says, Ammon says, especially they spoke out against the massive federal funds being distributed into Idaho institutions due to Governor Little keeping Idahoans under executive emergency powers for more than two years. So, after participating in much public scrutiny against the most powerful people in Idaho, police officers surrounded Diego's family and forcefully took his grandson under a false pretense of child neglect. Now, eventually, the accusations against the family were all proven to be absolutely false. Over time, the state had to give baby Cyrus back, drop the CPS case altogether, and dismiss the criminal charges against his mother, Marissa, and his aunt, Aunt Miranda, who they mistakenly arrested, thinking she was Marissa. Now, he says, I don't find it a coincidence that St. Luke's Hospital, the number one private beneficiary of federal COVID funds coming through Governor Little and the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, and the number one public beneficiary of the COVID funds are the two institutions that carried out the assault against this family. And they did so by falsely reporting baby Cyrus's condition and then sending the police after them. That night was, uh, he said, being extremely concerned for baby Cyrus, the family and the entire injustice of the situation, Ammon showed up at St. Luke's Hospital where the baby had been taken, demanding that he be given back to his family. After many demands, Meridian police officers arrested him and took him to the Ada County Jail. Now he says, even though I have to say the Meridian police officers were completely in the wrong and acting to enforce the will of people grossly abusing the law, they were also lied to by officials from the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, especially Child Protective Services. They were told this baby was failing to thrive and he must be taken to the hospital for immediate care. But the evidence tells an entirely different story. Baby Cyrus was not taken to the hospital for care. He was forcefully taken from his parents and brought to the hospital to be immediately given to foster parents. In other words, the foster parents were waiting there patiently in Meridian St. Luke's Hospital. And baby Cyrus was deemed a healthy baby by the medical staff 
who told the foster parents to leave promptly. But because of the commotion that he and those with him were causing outside the hospital by peacefully demanding Cyrus be given back to his parents, those foster parents lost their will to take the baby. Therefore, baby Cyrus was transferred to Boise St. Luke's Hospital instead. By the way, the hospital reports from that night actually say health and welfare identified a foster family, but due to protesters surrounding the hospital regarding this case, it felt that it was felt that the discharge with the foster family from the emergency department was unsafe for all involved. The sending physician handed us the patient, secured in his car seat. She indicated the patient was in stable condition and requested that we leave promptly. She stated, just go. This is a healthy baby with no interventions, no acute life threats noted. So why the hell did they take him? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm going to spend one more segment on Ammon Bundy's letter to the officials who are trying to destroy him and his family. And I I don't use that term lightly. This is one of the grossest cases of, of official vengeance as opposed to justice that I've ever seen. And it, and it sickens me because uh, people think of Idaho, well, it's a good conservative state. There's good people, common sense and freedom. You know, yes, it's a good red state. I'm telling you, there is rot at the top. And he talks about to baby Cyrus in this letter, how the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, particularly Child Protective Service, misrepresented the truth about baby Cyrus. That's what caused this entire situation. This baby had always been cared for and loved to the extreme by his parents and his family. His mother was breastfeeding. He'd been thriving since birth, but he had recently been transitioning to solid foods and was not reacting well to that. That's typical, or it can be typical for that age. But CPS, with the help of Meridian police officers, took Cyrus away from his main source of nutrition, that being his mother, which was very concerning to many people, including Ammon. So he felt he had to bring attention to the matter and did so at the hospital by demanding that baby Cyrus be returned to his nursing mother. Now, because of that incident, he and his family once again have suffered under the hands of Ada County prosecutors for another year. The CPS case against baby Cyrus's parents was dropped. The criminal case against the aunt was dismissed. The criminal case against baby Cyrus's mother was dropped. But he says the case against me continues to go on and is actually scheduled for trial this month. If convicted, he faces heavy fines and up to a year in jail. Oh, and by the way, the Ada County chief chief judge in the middle of these proceedings reassigned his case to, drumroll, Judge Annie McDevitt, the same petty judge who already threw the book at him and sentenced him to 10 days in jail and a $3,000 fine. Now, normally contempt of court is a fine of a few hundred dollars with no jail time. So he says it doesn't take legal training to understand what she will try to do to him if he's convicted this time for helping baby Cyrus and his family. It took about six days to get the baby back to his parents. The people at the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare and Judge Lori Forder, Fortier rather, did not like the public scrutiny they were receiving. They felt the heat and they gave the baby back after a week of, a hundred pe- of hundreds of people protesting at St. Luke's Hospital, as well as the CPS office and even the judge's home. A few weeks later, St. Luke's Hospital sued Diego Rodriguez, that's Cyrus's grandfather, and Ammon for saying negative things about them. They retained Holland and Hart, LLP, a law firm that represents Governor Brad Little, Scott Bedke, and the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare. 
Now he has, <clears throat> he has, Ammon has been receiving mountains of court documents. Holland and Hart is sending documents to his business, his home and associates by personal service companies, James County Sheriff's deputies, U.S. Postal Service, FedEx, UPS. Some documents are too big to print, so they send electronic files in packages to contain it all. He says, without exaggerating, I could have filled up a garbage dumpster to contain the amount of legal documents I've received from this law firm. And after speaking to an Idaho law firm in hopes of defending himself, he was told it would take at least three full-time attorneys to respond to this mountain of litigation. Because this case may continue for several years, it's not impractical to calculate. It could take hundreds of thousands of dollars to properly defend against the onslaught of litigation paid for by donations to St. Luke's Hospital. Oh, the plot thickens. He was informed by two very credible, independent sources, one, a high-ranking Ada County official, the other an attorney who works with St. Luke's, that St. Luke's CEO gave Holland and Hart Law Firm a blank check to financially destroy Diego and Ammon for speaking out against them in the role they played in taking baby Cyrus. So rather than taking action to ensure that the situation with baby Cyrus doesn't happen again, Instead, St. Luke's CEO Chris Roth has authorized hundreds of thousands of dollars of donations given to St. Luke's to pay a law firm to financially destroy baby Cyrus's family and those who stood with them. Now, is that the reason people donated to St. Luke's Hospital? Ammon says, I believe those who donate to the hospital are under the impression that their donations are going to help medically needy children or, or other patients, not to fund a team of $600 an hour bureaucrat attorneys to even a political score. To date, he says, this team of attorneys has, has used the courts to put a lien on his home, forcing him to sell it. He's been forced to liquidate all of his assets except a few. And he and his family have no idea when any of this will end. St. Luke's CEO Chris Roth has given Holland and Hart a blank check to destroy him and Diego. Misusing the courts, they put us under constant threat of losing everything we've worked for our entire lives. Never once, he says, have I knowingly stepped inside a St. Luke's medical facility in Idaho. Never have I or my family received any medical treatment from a St. Luke's provider. I owe them nothing, but they are trying to take everything. And he says, anything I said about them, which was very minimal, I believe to be absolutely true. But they're using the courts to chill free speech and punish anyone who exposes them to the public. All of this when they are the people who participated in stealing a baby from loving parents. Holland and Hart receiving open payments from St. Luke's Hospital to destroy lives by abusing the court is a prime example of judicial terrorism. Now, Ammon says, look, in the, in the last few years, I have been criminally charged many times for defending what the Idaho state and U.S. constitutions were designed to protect. He says, I've had so many court hearings, I've lost track of the number. I've endured multiple trials and spent weeks in solitary confinement in the Ada County Jail. I've been forced to sell my home and assets, been fined thousands of dollars, and have not been able to rightfully provide for my family. Now, he says, in less than a week, I will be forced to defend myself again in trial against criminal trespass charges, facing a team of government attorneys for peacefully standing outside St. Luke's Hospital, demanding that they give baby Cyrus back to his loving parents. If convicted, I will be fined thousands of dollars and will most likely spend months, if not a year in jail, away from my little family who need me. Sentenced by Judge Annie McDevitt. He says, if I am certain if I am thrown in jail, by the time I get out, St. Luke's executives and Holland and Hart partners, with the help of a few Ada County judges, will do their best to take everything they can from me and strip from my family anything we have left. 
Never once has he damaged any property, committed any violence, or harmed any person. He says, I've remained peaceful and stood for peaceful remedies, even when forceful actions in defense may have been justified. I've stood as a barrier in protecting the very people who are harming me from those who believe that sometimes a, right, the, a way to right or wrong is not always peaceful. But he says, everything I have done has been peaceful, even when police officers have falsely arrested me, abused me, my family and my friends, and caused me to bleed by violence. Even when jailers have fo- cruelly forced me to suffer for days, even when judges have taken my income, wealth, and stripped me of my rights, even when the courts have allowed judicial terrorists to use the force of law to harass and financially assault my family, I pray every day to my Father in Heaven for the resolve to remain peaceful. But he's warning them here. He says, I feel I have the justification to call upon my friends and defend myself by any means, even though I have no intention at this point to do so. He says, my only desire is to be left alone. But I cannot stand by when the rights to life, liberty, and property are being violated all around me. It is my belief that if a man or woman smites me or my family once, I should bear it patiently and not revile against them. If they smite me or my family a second time, I should not revile against them. But if they smite me or my family a third time, I should bear it patiently as a testimony against them, but warn them in the name of Jesus Christ, that they come no more upon me or my family. And if they do so, God will deliver them into my hands. However, if they repent at any time, he says, I should forgive them. I have full faith in these words, and I intend to live by them. I can tell you right now, these individuals, Blake Higley, Scott Bedke, Whitney Welsh, Chris Roth, Annie McDevitt, Eric Stidham, Brad Little, and Keith Reynolds, they are being fairly warned that they are trespassing against a man who has not harmed anyone. The only, the only people who have been harmed by him are those who are in, actively engaged in wrongdoing under the color of authority or the color of law. And the only way he's harmed them is he has exposed what they are doing and caused people to go, whoa, that's not right, and stand against them. Their egos are harmed. Their consciences are likely pricked. And that's why they find him intolerable. And I'm sure that they will, they will take the typical tyrant's uh, approach of, oh, for safety, and he's threatening us and making us feel scared, when they have all the implements of organized violence at their hands. But they're going to try to paint him as the aggressor. And, you know, I don't know how this shakes out. But I know that there's a terrible injustice that is being done here. And and I'll just come right out and say it. I'm testifying to you. Ammon Bundy is a good man. He is a man who understands the principles and the practices of freedom. He is a man who loves God and his fellow man. Even those who trespass against him like these folks are doing. And he does not deserve what they are trying to do to him. So, if you are a person who believes in, in prayer, I would encourage you, add your prayers to those of us who are, are praying for a peaceful resolution to this. Maybe ask God to soften the hearts of those individuals named in this letter. Again, you can read the letter in its entirety. It's in my show notes. Keep an eye on this situation. I'm just hoping that these folks in authority don't try to lavoy Finnicum Ammon as a way of getting him out of their way. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right. I'm ready to move on to some other topics, but my conscience would not let me move forward without sharing sharing the, the difficulties that Ammon is going through. And I, I get it. Not everybody's going to agree. You, in fact, some of you may have written me off at this point. All right, that's it. That's it, Brian. You've, you've jumped the shark. If that's, if that's what my conscience requires, I'm, I'm okay. If people, if people you know, walk away, that's fine. I'm willing to be unpopular. I'm willing to, to be despised because I have seen Ammon do all that and more. And never with a, a motive of, oh, this is going to make me famous. This is going to make me rich. On the contrary, this guy has skin in the game. He has suffered for his beliefs and for his principles. And no matter what his critics say, and some of them are are among the most devilish people you will ever meet, they can't take away the fact that uh, this guy has skin in the game. Whereas if they're just, you know, booing from the sidelines, yeah, nobody's going to take you seriously. All right, moving on. Couple things here. Uh, the idea that taxation is theft seems pretty obvious, right? To anybody who understands the nature of the state. Cut a great article here from Jeff Thomas with a relatable expression that will likely convince even those who want to assure the state, I love you. I love you, big brother. You are my friend. It's kind of an interesting philosophical thing, but when, when somebody can get their mind around the idea of taxation is theft, suddenly you realize why government has to be limited. And you also start to understand why people who are part of the system and people who thrive on the idea of, uh, of uh, oh, no, we need government to be bigger and doing more and we need more funding. They just can't get enough taxation. But you can't be a person who understands limited government until you understand it's, it's theft. It's someone taking what belongs to someone else to use for whatever purpose, good, bad, or indifferent. If it doesn't belong to you, but you're taking it under threat of force, you're a thief. Even if you're dressed in a state costume, you're a thief. Also, anyone who's aware of the World Economic Forum can see that there is serious mischief afoot. Don't spend a lot of time on this just because the the rabbit hole gets deep quickly here. But I've got a great article I'm including in today's show notes from J.B. Shirk on what's going on with the World Economic Forum. They, they really are. They, look, they're coming right out. This is their words. They will tell you, we are reshaping the world. We are redesigning the world and they've, they've coined a new word for it. Polycrisis, I think, is, is the word. How there's, there's multiple crises going on, but don't you worry. The World Economic Forum and all of its member uh, uh, organizations and governments, they're going to save us. These are the likes of Justin Trudeau and uh, what's her name? Arendt from uh, New Zealand. Who knows? Once Joe Biden gets the heave-ho, Maybe uh, Kamala Harris will have uh, Gavin Newsom be her, her vice president, and, and he'll be our WEF representative. But if you want to know what it will take to resist that, you need to understand that the revolution that needs to happen starts in the minds of the people. Cold, righteous anger is what drove the American founders to finally say enough to King George. And that kind of clarity, it's got to be righteous clarity, is what will drive us to stand and, and defy the World Economic Forum and, and its various minions. Also got a great uh, article here from James Howard Kunstler about holding the right people accountable for the COVID disaster. In fact, it's titled Swimming Against the Tide. 
And he explains what it may look like calling people to account. Something he suggests that, you know, initially I was a little like, eh, I don't know, man. I want to see people, I want to see people answer for this. I, I, I want to see them punished. But he suggests, and, and I, he's quoting somebody else. I forget who it is. He, he's, he's quoting someone who says, look, if we really want to get to the bottom of who knew what and when, we don't need documents. Documents are easily hidden. Documents are redacted and, you know, swapped around and whatnot. What we need to do is get testimony from the people who were directly involved. And the best way to do that is give immunity to the people who are willing to testify. I know, it's kind of like, wait, you know, so basically let them off scot-free, but if you really want to know what's going on, I have to admit, that's probably a more viable way of getting the truth out than, uh, you know, putting them in the dock Nuremberg style and, and putting them on trial like that. Something to think about. Also, this is kind of a fun one. I'm going to share this one with you right now. Um, the, the pressure to normalize the word games of the pronoun gang, it's pervasive and it's intense. And, and sometimes it's, it's really not all that uh, dark in terms of it's not uh, super overt. I just, you know, my rule of thumb is typically if, if someone uh, comes up to me with a name tag and it has their preferred pronouns on there, I'll admit I usually look at them as, oh boy. Well, we've got some virtue signaling going on here. Now, I'm probably making an unfair judgment. Some people are probably just doing it, you know, to get along. Some people are doing it for the purpose of manipulating others. I'm going to play the audio for you of a guy. He sounds he sounds Aussie by his, his accent. But he's explaining how these, uh, these pronouns, these personal pronoun games, are a form of manipulation which is disguising itself as manners. And he calls it out as beautifully as anybody ever could. Check this out. I know when you say, hello, my name is Kim, my pronouns are she, her. What you will say is that you are just telling me how you want to be addressed so that I can speak to you respectfully. But we're both quite clever, you and I, and we know that that's really not what's happening, is it? You see, when I address you, when I speak to you, I use something in grammar called second-person pronouns. I'm the speaker, the first person, and you are the second person. And when I'm speaking to a second person, what I do is I use the pronouns you, your, yours, and so on. So I'll say, hi, how are you? How was your day? Is that your car over there? Right? It would be really strange if I somehow managed to slip in a he or a she. Hello, how are she? <laughs> we don't do that. It sounds completely wrong. When I'm talking to you, the second person, about a third person who's not here, or if I'm just thinking about that third person, then I'll use the third person pronouns. Those are the ones like he, she, hers, his, etc. So um, his name is John. She's not a very nice person. That's his car. That's her house, you know, and, and so on. Um, and the difference is quite clear. So when you, quite uninvited, uh, declare your pronouns to me, in spite of what you might say, you are not telling me how to address you. You are not telling me how you like to be spoken to. What you're telling me is how I must think about you and how I must speak to everyone else in the world when I refer to you. You might think it's okay to control me in that way. You may think that you have a good justification for doing so. But at the very least, 
Let's be honest about what you're doing because that's how I like to be spoken to. Dang. Very polite and, and direct, but uh, he kind of takes apart that whole idea of, hey, I'm just, I just want you to validate me. <laughs> Look, I, you know, there's you don't know trouble till you've had beef with the pronoun gang. I believe in treating others the way that, uh, that you would want to be treated. But there's something about wokeness that just absolutely drives me crazy. And I think it's supposed to. I think, it, I think what it's supposed to do is try to incite some kind of uh, a, uh, I don't know. I, it's supposed to, I guess, incite anger or some kind of pushback. And then, oh, look, now I'm the victim. You, you were rude to me or you didn't accept me or you're denying my existence or, or whatever it is. All I know is, you know, woke individuals tend to be among the most toxic individuals you will encounter in your day-to-day life. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I have an excuse to treat them badly or, you know, to bring more anger to the situation, but it does make things complicated. And I think a person could be understood if they just wanted to flat-out avoid people who gravitate toward that particular mindset. That's a challenge. And, and, and if I can just, you know, be really blunt here, I believe at the bottom of all of that uh, woke enlightenment is basically leftism, Marxism, collectivism, struggling to assert itself and just looking for any other way that it can find a chink in our armor and, and get past, uh, you know, the defenses of healthy, normal people who put their hand up and say, whoa, no. We're not going to go there. We're not going to, I, we, we're going to assert our boundaries here and say that's, that's not acceptable. Like I say, the, the hard part is, you know, the easy part is, okay, I'm drawing the line here. A lot of people are ready to go to battle. For me, the tough part is being able to stand up for what you believe, being able to speak the truth without apology, but also being able to do it without bringing more anger to the situation. I'd like to think I succeed in that regard most days. I'm not so sure I did so well today. I've got a fire lit under me. Please go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Subscribe if you'd like. But if you if you do nothing else, I would ask you, please, read the letter that Ammon Bundy has written to these various Idaho officials and see what he has to say for yourself. This is The Brian Hyde Show.